Is that the volume you're going to talk? I talk quietly. Oh, I know who I could be. It's organic. <laughs> it's not number rated number one. <laughs> that was funny that they got Gwyneth Paltrow on her last. In your face, goop haters. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yannis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this show, we like to democratize the film criticism conversation by bringing on film critics and fans alike to talk about a film that really means something to them, that they grew up with, or something that really emotionally resonates with uh, with them in some way, something that, the, that they personally connect to. I'm pleased to welcome back to the Crooked Table Podcast uh, the first returning guest, uh, I guess minus, well, well, I guess I had carry on a couple times. But the first, like, proper returning into the format of the show, that's a long qualifier, uh, like those films that come out. It was the number one uh, opening weekend for a film that's an original, non-genre in this decade with this kind of person and whatever. Uh, So that's a lot of qualifiers. But welcome back to the show, Kyanis. Woo-woo! Happy to be back, Rob, um, for my return. So, yeah, you're the, the first returning proper in the format of, of this uh, revamped podcast. So we, uh, so yeah, so what, what do we already, people already know how we know each other. We are married. That's true. But we do need to qualify that with we've been married for five years. This is true. As of last week. That's right. Aww. Happy anniversary to us. So we, uh, we actually, part of the reason we're recording this sort of last minute to go up this week is that we just returned from a trip to Toronto. We were doing a five-year anniversary slash whatever, I guess. It was our first international trip with, uh, with our daughter and our first international trip since our honeymoon. So, uh, so you know, what do, what do we think of Toronto? Just as in, since in lieu of the how we know each other deal let's just give people a quick update on what we what we thought of uh what we've had going on well i thought toronto was really cool um the people were really nice um they love espresso like we do there was an espresso co- uh, there was an espresso shop on as rob just said it before there was about two of them on every block so that was cool so we could just walk there from our airbnb that we stayed at um the weather was actually still pretty cold it looks like spring doesn't start in Canada until May. So um, in Toronto, the, the, the degree, the temperature probably in its 30s or so. So we had our coats on and our hats and just, you know, but it was, it was nice enough that we were still able to walk around. Um, it's a great walking city. There are a lot of, a lot of dogs, a lot of like uh, walking paths, a lot of things to do. Cool restaurants. They actually have a lot of breweries as well. Um, well, it's Canada, so they're about coffee and beer, basically. Like literally, this the, like for people listening that have never been to Canada, and granted, I've only been to Toronto, really. Uh, you know, the, the, every every place, a lot of times they have beer and then like an espresso machine right next to where the like the taps are. You right? Yeah, I know. It was, it's, super, it was, it's super cool. Like it's it's like home base, you know, um, and they have. It's you know Toronto is a huge metropolitan area, but and there were cars and there's there's mass transit, so they have streetcars, buses, but it wasn't the roads weren't as busy as you would think, and we actually had a rental car and drove through the city. Okay, Rob drove through the city um, one day, and then um, I drove from the airport 
But it wasn't that crowded on the roads like you would think in an urban area like that. So um, just had a really laid back vibe. And I don't know if people were laid back because they were cold. But well, according to the people there, that's actually kind of warming up for them. That's like you said, that's their spring. So for us, we're in Florida. It's like 85 degrees here now. So 40 degrees is with wind chill. We get here like two days a year, maybe. Yeah, and with wind chill. Right. So, well, yeah, it was windy. Too. Yeah, there was one day we were there that um, it was windy and it was cold, and um, like we walked off the plane, and I grabbed my daughter's coat, and she even she apparently had said it's cold, <laughs> and like I quickly grabbed the coat and put it on because we actually ended up getting off the plane in outside in the on the tarmac. So that was that was fun and cold. Yeah, and it was a lot of opportunities for me to be like, look. That was in Scott Pilgrim versus the World, which is one of my favorite movies. And if you're interested in hearing me gush about that for two hours, we did a commentary on that uh, a couple of years ago. We need to, and we've been talking about doing more crooked commentaries, but we just have not really gotten the chance either for the Patreon or elsewhere, just as bonus episodes. But yeah, so it was a really fun trip. Yeah, and we saw Niagara Falls too. In case anyone's wondering, uh, we actually visited my cousin in Buffalo. So in order to go to Buffalo, you do have to drive through Niagara Falls. Cause there's really Basically. Only one, you have to really only one or two roads to get there. So we did stop by there and it was beautiful. And um, there's actually still ice and snow on the falls because it's still cold. And it's really cold there because it's just gushing water. So uh, that's just pretty much what we've been up to. That's been our big development lately as we took that trip and Everything else is kind of business as usual. So I guess up front, Kai, do you want to tell people where they can, where they can see what you're what you're up to elsewhere? Like not social media wise, but basically, this is an opportunity for you to throw your YouTube videos out there. Well, before that, though, I'm really surprised that you did also didn't mention that we went to went to the castle of Casaloma. Oh yeah, we did a Casaloma, which is featured in Scott Pilgrim and the X Men movies, and I guess Rocky Horror, which I didn't Chicago realize. Chicago, movie. like a million movies, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was cool, and I have pictures of that. I should actually throw some of them on the uh, Crooked Table Twitter feed or something, just to be like, look, I was there. It happened. Um, especially people listening to this episode will be looking for that now. Uh, but yeah, that was that was fun, and you know, uh, we did the whole tour, and our two-year-old was pretty patient considering that we were just strolling her, strollering her around. Oh, no, we actually didn't even use a stroller. That's right. It's not made for that. So we were actually just kind of carrying her around from room to room, being like, look how pretty this... This antique, you know, bed frame and whatever. I want to sit on the sofa. No, you can't sit on the sofa. <laughs> yeah, there's plexiglass there, so you're not going to mess with any of that. Um, but yeah, so that's that was fun. That was definitely a highlight of our trip uh, as far as the touristy things. We tried to just do more, like, kind of getting the local flavor uh, type of trip than, you know, getting sucked into every single little tourist thing or, like, museums and things like that. It was just That was a big, I guess, touristy thing we did. Yeah. Definitely. So, so, Kai? So, what have I been up to? Where can you find me? So, I have um, an ebook about my travels through China and Australia that greatly enhanced my life and led me to where I'm at today. And that's called Becoming Version 2.0. And you can find it on Amazon.com. You can also find it on um, through Nook, which is through Barnes & Noble. Um, you can pretty much find it through any main um, book um, ebook distributor. It's actually even on... Um, iBooks for Apple, so you could kind of find me find that book anywhere now. Um, I also have a YouTube channel that 
doesn't actually have a, a name yet because it's it's on my it goes on my website called be bold bebravecom and that website really is about it really focuses on my my YouTube videos about you know, inspiration and motivation and just some some tips on living a happy life but um, it also has you know affiliate links and my book again my book plug and um, so it's just kind of a website devoted to me so those are the two the two big things that I have going on and then some passive income I guess thrown in there along the way cool uh, yeah very good definitely check those out I, I obviously am on top of them and am a fan of Kai's work uh, and I edited the book so you know I'm perso- so glad personally invested in, in Kai's ebook having spent hours meticulously hours. yeah meticulously helping her uh, kind of hone her voice I guess a little bit so uh, before we, you know, before we really get lost on this an hour long tangent of just what's going on in our lives, which would be a totally different podcast, let's just formally go ahead and, and introduce it. We're going to be talking this episode about the 1999 comedy Office Space. So let's listen to a little bit of the trailer right now. I don't like my job, and I don't think I'm going to go anymore. One of these days, I, I, I just, I just kick this piece off. I'm thinking now it might be more fun to just get fired. And I've always wondered what that would take. Oh, Peter, listen. Uh, well, it looks like you've been missing quite a bit of work lately. Well, I wouldn't say I've been missing it, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a straight shooter with upper management written all over him. We're going to be getting rid of these people here. Mr. Samir. Okay, okay. Not going to work here anymore anyway. <laughs> That was a little bit of the trailer from Office Space, the 1999 comedy written and directed by Mike Judge. And so, Kai, since you picked this, obviously, what is uh, what is this film about for people that somehow have never seen it? And, you know, why uh, why did you choose this one? Um, so this movie is about three disenfranchised corporate employees who take matters into their own hands against the man and it's a comedy um, with jennifer aniston um, ron livingston i, I want to stop you right there first of all i like the fact that you said three disenfranchised workers who take their matters into their own hands about the man and it stars jennifer aniston sounds exactly like horrible bosses which we just watched for the last for the first time like over the, while we were in toronto at night on netflix I just thought that was funny. And it made me realize how many movies there are about three disenfranchised corporate workers. Office Space, Horrible Bosses, 9 to 5. And now I'm feeling like that's the perfect feature for somebody to to put together. Anyway, as you were. Jennifer Aniston, Rod Livingston. I just was making an interesting observation. And we're having our bottle of Canadian wine, so I'm a little more off the cuff than normal. Oh, yes. Yeah, Canada, um, in that area going towards Niagara Falls, they have so many wineries, so many vineyards. It's insane, like sign after sign after sign. So keep that in mind. It's another selling point, yeah. Yeah, keep that in mind whenever you go to visit in between the Toronto and Niagara Falls area. Shout out to the Ravine Vineyards where we got this. This is actually pretty good. Yeah, it is good. It um, doesn't taste like it has any sulfites in it. The Cabernet Franc red wine, sand and gravel Cabernet Franc. Yeah, they yeah. do. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> back on track. Um, and you know, maybe that's where I got disenfranchised employees from. Maybe it was some something subliminal from Horrible Bosses 
um, from IMDb. Well, this is a much better film. We should say that first up. Yeah, and I think even this movie was was not successful. Kai and I have been talking a lot about 1999, and you know, she even mentioned to me off air how oh, make sure you mention it's the 20th anniversary of Office Space, and I said, well, of course we're going to bring that up because 1999 is such a landmark year for cinema. Freddie and I talk about it on our Matrix episode, which was released in 1999, but there are so many movies that are either like creatively like ambitious or. Uh, just sort of um, more fringe genres or more like weird offbeat films that kind of broke into the mainstream, like being John Malkovich. Uh, you have something like American Beauty, uh, The Sixth Sense, um, even Phantom Menace pushed technology and was like kind of a, a very memorable film for a variety of different reasons. But we were talking right right uh, right before we hit record that The Matrix is number five that year, and Office Space is number 121. Oh wow! With 10 million dollar box office gross and that's it and it cost 10 million dollars so it maybe broke even probably was still in the red because of all the you know whatever pr they put behind it which are marketing which is probably not a lot but enough probably for it to still not really turn a profit until home video yeah and it makes me wonder why what made jennifer anson even be in this movie because she was very successful yeah yeah. and she was making at least at that point Seven hundred fifty thousand dollars an episode. Right. So, wonder how, wonder what what happened where she read the script and was like, "I want to be in this movie" because she's really their biggest. She's really the biggest name person. Oh yeah, yeah, in yeah. that film for sure, for sure. Ron Livingston is not exactly a household name, and I feel like now even when you see him in something like Tully, you're like, "Hey, the guy from Office Space." Um, and I believe this was probably one of Mike Judge's first. I mean, he had done. Beavis and Butthead do America before this, but I don't know really how many films he had directed prior to this. He was basically known as the Beavis and Butthead guy, and I think King of the Hill may have just started or around, was around that time. Around that time, yeah. Uh, but I wasn't, the, the funny thing is that I wasn't a big fan. I still don't really care for Beavis and Butthead or King of the Hill, and I didn't care for Extract, the movie he did after this. Like, this is pretty, pretty much the only thing that he's like the creative force behind that I actually really enjoy. What about. Idiocracy. I like that. Uh, that more terrifies me than yeah. We've else. seen it one time because, because it was a nightmare. Well, it's scary, especially now in the MAGA age, it's even scarier to watch something like Idiocracy. But um, it's like it's with Mike Judge's films, at least with Office Space and Idiocracy. Right. I guess I haven't seen really the other ones. It's like these movies are seem so stupid, but yet they're actually really smart. And like have a high level concept buying them, and I think there are there are defenders of King of the Hill and Beavis and Butthead that will say that that same kind of thing, that like King of the Hill is kind of making poking fun at the whole redneck culture and all of that. But I never, I guess I never cared enough to really look that closely into it. Aside from possibly Idiocracy, this is the only real Mike Judge property that you, I guess, at all invested in. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. you you know. How I feel. Well, I do, but not the listeners don't. Well, you didn't have you didn't ask me that question yet. So I did sort of. I asked you in, in tandem with what is this movie. So you were like me, sixteen when this came out, or so, or about to turn sixteen. Yeah, you know, about to turn sixteen. This was February nineteenth, nineteen ninety nine. So it literally just celebrated its twentieth anniversary. It would have been really cool ago. to have had this podcast on February nineteenth, but. We were doing other things. Well, but then you don't. Then you have to coordinate when it airs on on Odyssey, O D Y S Y one dot com, uh, Wednesdays at seven p.m. Eastern. 
Or when it arrives in the podcast feed, it's like, eh, close enough. couple months away, it's all good. So you were, uh, like me, about to turn 16. <laughs> Why did you, did you see this in theaters? Probably not. Most people didn't, apparently. <laughs> and uh, it, when you did see it, did, when you did see it for the first time, did you relate to the disenfranchised corporate worker thing? Or did you not because you were a teenager? And therefore, what, what did you have to really be disenfranchised about? So I first saw this movie five years after it came out in 2004 okay. on, you know, um, let's say home video. Or Comedy Central, which used to run it a lot. Yeah, no, I didn't. It's I, um, I saw it in 2004, and I'm watching this movie. This is my life. Like, I really related to this movie. And I also was, uh, one, I, I don't know why that was, because I hadn't even had a corporate job yet. I was still working retail, and um, I was in my first couple of years of going community college to be a business major. Maybe that's the other thing. I mean, I'm like, oh, I'm going to be working in the corporate world. going to be a business. This is your future, guy. But I just really related to the scene with like the fax machine and just <laughs> disenfranchisement. I was like, oh my God, this is my life. Like it, really, it, just, it just spoke to me. And this is actually one of my most favorite movies, Office Space and Shawshank Redemption. Two totally different genres and tones. But both my favorites. Well, and Shawshank, Office Space, Down With Love, and then like maybe one other one were like the only movies we both owned on DVD when we met. Yes. Is that, am I missing one? I think it was just... Was There's something about Mary. Something about Mary. I like that one that much. Oh, I see, know. I like that movie a lot, actually. I don't know why I even own that. Um, so I didn't see Office Space until later than you did. I remember I was in college. I think I rented it somewhere. I didn't feel like I got it out of the library or something. And Because I, I still do that with movies a lot because... You know, free rentals. Um, and, and I remember being, I think I was late to a class because I had to finish watching the last few minutes or something. Well, I want to say about the library thing. Yeah, guys, in case you don't visit the library because you don't like books, the library also acts as a multimedia center. Oh, I have so many CDs that I, uh, that's where I'm pretty sure that's where I first saw this. And um, what made you want to see it? I'd heard a lot about it. I think I caught part of it on Comedy Central, maybe, or something like that. I think that's what happened to me, too. Because, like I said, they were airing it constantly um, at one point. So I, I eventually got the the DVD. It's actually the the weird release. It's like the slim case that I, I don't know what the reasoning was behind that. I guess to save shelf space or maybe it's cheaper for them to produce. I don't know what maybe eventually break down and buy it. Maybe I did see it on TV, and that's probably what happened. And they... They got to. Well, because the older you get, as a teenager, I don't feel like any teenager can really appreciate this. Because if you, that's why I was asking, you were 16 when it came out, like me, or almost 16. When this came out, what what about this movie about people being like, corporate America sucks. I'm going to like not give a shit about it anymore. And just like, I just want to do nothing. Um, you know, teenagers, a lot of times when they're not doing schoolwork, they are kind of doing nothing. And you're just like, it's all emotional turmoil. It's not really like, oh, I got to get up for work tomorrow. And, you know. As much, at least. Um, granted, I'm not knocking any teenagers that hold down jobs, but it's, it, this is a very specific environment that this movie's about. In fact, I think when this movie came out, I wasn't even working a job yet. Yeah. I started working... I wasn't, I was, but I started I working it, so. retail when I was 17. Right. So I still had another like, year, and something, year and change to go, but I'm still like... So but you didn't see it when it came out, like right. you said. You saw it five years later. So by that point, you were, I guess, close. You like, understood this environment more. But watching this as a teenager, I feel like I would have been, I wouldn't, wouldn't have connected to it, because what it's doing is is very, it's a satire kind of 
of, of uh, corporate America. And it's making a lot of points about how you're kind of trapped within that world. Cubicle Nation is that, I think that's the, the one of the books that you read as a 20-something. Yeah. And, 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 you know, you haven't really had that experience yet, but the older you get, the more you're like, oh my God, that is so me, stuck in traffic, and you change lanes, Ugh, and then yes. all of a sudden that one stops moving. And It was basically, you know what it was? It was like management. Seinfeld. Yeah, it, this is it, basically it, it, a movie yeah, about nothing, office, but everything. It's yeah, something. it's like an office, it's a corporate America, well, corporate, global, global corporate Seinfeld, because that's why we can relate to it. And then, especially when, you know, I keep forgetting his name. Peter? Peter. I have it up in front of me. That helps. Yeah. Um, Peter, when he says, I don't I don't like bills. I don't think I'm going to pay those either. I'm like, oh, my God. This guy has the, you know, he's he's the guru of, of life. I mean, I don't want to work, and I don't want to pay bills either. But I still do it. Well... It's kind of like Freddie mentioned last week on the Shazam episode, is that you're kind of living vicariously through the, the lead character in this. So he's like, eh, I don't like work. I don't think I want to go anymore. You're like, oh my God, you're my hero. <laughs> that kind of thing. So there's an element of that. But if you if you haven't lived in that environment, been in that space, watching the clock tick, 458, 459, haha, <laughs> nice. 458, 459, you know, assuming you get off at 5, which I never really did. I always got off at 530 or 6. I don't know who these people that work 9 to 5. That means no lunch break, That means lunch no break, lunch guys. break, yeah, basically. That's what I, I didn't get a, either. I feel like that's a term that was coined before people had a designated lunch break or before the work day was a full eight work, the work time was a full eight hours. I wonder what that is because that doesn't, that nine to five expression has never made any sense to me because it's always more like eight to, eight, to six, eight to five or nine to six or whatever. Um, but yeah, so this film, I think you have to work in corporate in, 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 no, corporate environment in to really, to really have it resonate with you. So it, it's, it makes sense that, one, it makes sense that we didn't see this until years later because nobody did, uh, because it was it went so under the radar. And two, I think it, it benefited our experience in watching it because by then we were at least closer to, if not already in the midst of corporate America and having to clock in and be there at a certain time and sign in on your desk and deal with all that crap. So what's amazing to me is that this film not only... Has became some sort of a cult hit initially, but has grow, broken out to be such a mainstream where everybody now is like, oh, it's case of the Mondays. Like everything about this film is so iconic. You can find bobbleheads or like Funko Pops for the characters. It's like. Red Stapler. Yeah. We could, we could uh, set the building on fire. Um, and all the characters are, are so memorable and quotable. It's it, it's crazy to me that it's, it's turned out that way. And I, I'm, I'm sure that Mike Judge is. Ecstatic with the fact that he this film has become such a, you know, I said earlier about 1999, but such a cinematic landmark. Like this is considered probably one of the most popular comedies of the last couple uh, couple decades. Hell yeah! So what I guess kind of trans- transitioning into the review section, which obviously full spoilers, this movie's 20 years old. What uh, what is it about this movie that that you that you love so much? Like give me some of your some of your favorite things about it or your favorite moments or scenes. Uh, and then I, I'll come through with some of my counterpoints on certain things that I'm like, eh, that's a little whatever. Um, I do like the scene where Peter is walking through the hall at at work with getting the CD-ROM from... Samir? Getting the CD-ROM from him to then go 
infects the computers with Superman virus, but the, just like he's walking. Oh, Superman 3. Yeah, he's Superman like 3. walking and he looks so smooth and suave and they're playing that that cursed laden that song. Motherfucking God, motherfucking. Is that motherfucking Oh no, no that's a good to be a gangster. Yeah, and, and just him walking through the halls looking all suave in his business suit. I was for a long time like actually attracted to guys in business. I'm like, which is great because that was going to be my that was my major. Yeah, a lot, lot of accessibility yeah. to that. Because it was just like he looked so suave and smooth, and I actually had a little bit of a crush on Ron Livingston for a long time. And um, when I would see him in things like Sex and the City, for example, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's Peter from Office. <laughs> I remembered his name this time. <laughs> I know. And um, the other um, the other scene I like a lot is with the fax machine, the printer, and they're always, beating up in the field. I always remember it as a fax machine, but it is a printer because the whole point is that it's low on toner. Right. Yeah, and it's like the all-in-one because you got as in corporate, the corporate world, you got to have an all-in-one thing. With, that's a fax machine, a printer, a scanner, a copier. So, and then them beating up the fax machine because we can all relate to that. The stupid machine that doesn't work. Is that a toner? It's getting ink on you. Well, favorite moments. I, I like the. Uh, well, I like all the stuff you're mentioning when he's taking apart his cubicle and kind of knocking it down and. This is something with dead fish guts. He's like throwing mm-hmm. in the mail slot or something. I forget. Yeah, exactly. No, I think he threw the dead fish guts at um, Lumberg's head oh. or something. Oh, like yeah. He threw something. Him on the ground. Oh, we'll get into Lumberg and Milton and all the character stuff. Diedrich Bader is his, his neighbor oh. next door. We're like, oh, I do this too. Two chicks at the same time. I always want to do that. Like all the stuff that he's, uh, he's doing is really funny. And I was a fan of his um, from Drew Carey's show and, uh, and all that stuff back in the day. So, uh, I I, uh, I like everything with Lumberg and everything with Tom Simkowski with the the <laughs> jump to conclusions, Matt. Oh God, that's uh, quoted. Oh, I think about that. All, I think about that all the time. Everything in this movie is quoted. Like, jump in fact, to conclusions, jump to conclusions, Matt. I don't want to get. To, I don't want to kind of. This feels like another topic, but this is kind of a free for all conversation since this is a movie that's not really plot driven, and basically the plot of the movie is. And I guess this is my one of my issues with the movie. Like I, I obviously love all the rebelling against corporate America because I became a freelance writer for a reason, so I understand all of that. But when he gets to like the fact that he has that the, the story is set in motion because he gets hypnotized, that I always find is a little bit as a of a bummer. Like I'm like, ah, really? Does it have to be something like it's almost borderline magical realism a little bit? When yeah. that happens, and so I, it feels like he's under a spell and not necessarily reaching some epiphany. You know what I mean? Yeah. That so that I feel kind of un, that kind of undercuts a little bit of the theme of him like finally seeing the light and all of that. Um, even though the, he was unhappy, though he was unhappy, but he that's didn't have the balls to do anything about it. I guess, and that's what I guess that's the catalyst for what makes him different than everyone else. And like he's just like, no, you know what? I don't care anymore. And the whole point of the hypnotism and and this is kind of made clear in, in that scene is that he's basically removing his like his anxieties or his like um, inhibitions basically just like you know what just be true to yourself stop worrying about what everybody else thinks and just basically he's all all id and no ego or super ego he's just sort of like I don't want to do that so I'm not gonna yeah like our child <laughs> yeah exactly she can relate to this um, so that always kind of bums me out a little bit about the way that the movie is kind of kicked into motion um but once it, once it gets going, I love all that anti-establishment shit. Like I think that's all great. But the what I was saying that started to feel like it, it's it kind of another uh, its own conversation is it feels like this movie has has emerged as such a 
kind of cultural force. Like, there's, there's no really, like, who's the big breakout star of Office Space? I think Belton. I mean, we're still all quoting, remember Red Stapler? Remember well, Red Stapler? Well, and that's, you know, you know why that might be? Because Office Space is actually kind of, I think it's based on a series of sort of animated shorts that Mike Judge had done that were about Milton. Right, yeah. So this is all kind of, Milton was the starting point for this idea. And, and then Mike Judge just expanded it out from there. And I, and I guess that's sort of, you know, Peter is kind of the everyman. I mean, he's kind of a, you know, moderately good looking, but ultimately kind of bland white guy. So he's basically as like, if you were designing a sim of, like, and there's another data reference for you, if you were designing a sim, meaning the game The Sims that came out around the same time as this movie, uh, of like an average corporate worker, it'd be like, white guy, slim, like medium build, you know, very like blank expression. It would be this guy. It would be Ron Livingston. No knock to Ron Livingston, who's a good looking guy and a decent actor. But uh, just, you know, he has a very everyman approach in, in him. And so to your point, he just basically serves as our entrance into this world. And then once he's hypnotized, it's like pff, every, it's fair game. And we're kind of, cover, kind of covering everybody as much as possible. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of everyman in this movie in a way. But it's um, Peter is acting as that, as that person. I mean, D- David Herman's character, he definitely could have been everyman. You know, um, and not every man is named Michael Bolton, though. That's true. Ron Lumberg could be an every man. Oh God, in the worst way. Or is it that? Or is Ron? Does Rob? Ron? Bill Lumberg. Bill. Actually. <laughs> you got Ron Livingston <laughs> and Lumberg. Don't do that to I Ron Livingston. I think I've Livingston. done that before. Um, Bill Lumberg could <laughs> signify. Lumberg her. Bill Lumberg could. Sorry. That's a lot of Lumbergs too. Like I don't know any Lumbergs, and meanwhile these people know two. That's quite. That's quite a coincidence. We'll get into that. That's the that's the other issue. I don't. I don't. I'm not particularly fond of in this movie either. But um, but Bill Lumberg does he signify the Peter character in the future, and is that maybe why he is so wanting to fight the status quo because he doesn't want to become Bill Lumberg? I mean, well, he's willing. To, that's and this is my fundamental issue with this movie, which I ultimately do like. I mean, I still give it like a four out of five or something. I don't think it's a masterpiece like a lot of people, like you might, but... I don't think it's a masterpiece. But it's one of your personal favorites, I guess. Yeah. It's not one of my personal... I talked about Ace Ventura, Pets Detective. But you also love Teenage Ninja Turtles, and that, you know that's not a masterpiece. Um, do I, though? The, the 1990 original is still pretty... It still holds up. And that's just dudes in fucking green suits. But that's because of your sentimentality. I don't know. It's still a pretty good movie. I mean, you've seen it. I made you watch it. You also made me watch Power Rangers. Okay, that one, oh, no, I'll give you that one. That's that's legitimately not a great movie. The the 1995 Mighty Morphin Power Rangers is the movie you're talking about, not the 2017 Power Rangers yes. reboot, which I also really like, actually. But that's beside the point. Now you're they're undermining my credibility by making me admit to these things that I don't like. Yes, I have the squeakle on DVD. What of it? But yes, uh, it is the fact that he, he only does any of this because he got hypnotized. That's my first fundamental issue with this movie and why I don't think it's a masterpiece. And secondly... In the third act, his whole thing turns out being jealous of his girlfriend because he thinks she slept with someone, like, thinks she slept with Lumberg. And, like, that becomes the whole focus of the movie. And that feels really, first of all, kind of misogynistic in a way for him to be all, like, all up in arms about that. But well, also, well, it's she a very. she got mad about it. 
She broke up with him. Right. Well, he was being an asshole. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I understand it's, you know, he thinks it's gross because he thinks what Lumberg stands for and all that other stuff. But it, well, first of all, it's not like he, she, like he says it's not even the right Lumberg. But also, I, I feel like the focus of the movie is pulled from a larger corporate thing onto this one very specific kind of random uh, plot development that happens with the, the O guy at the party. Oh, oh, that guy. Who who also has some funny lines and gifts? Well, there's like like everything is. We'll get into the uh, the flair and stuff in a minute. But um, do you who do you feel is the most memorable character of this movie? Like I guess Milton has broken out too much, but like whose scenes and whose things do you do you feel hit you the most? For because for me it's probably Lumberg, where he's just like yeah, if you can go ahead and come in on, on Saturday, that would be great. And the whole trying to avoid that conversation. Uh, I, I said evoid because I'm going to say evade and then avoid. And it, the wine turned it into a new word called evoid. You know what? Fuck it. I'm going to lean into it. He was trying. You, you have to avoid that conversation by sneaking out of work that day. Um, so I, I and I think Gary Cole is perfect here. Almost as perfect as he is as uh, Mike Brady. Like he's so perfect. I honestly I think he's better as, as Mike Brady than he is here. And I'm not. And Brady Bunch movie is one that I hadn't seen until you showed me. Because I was like, that looks dumb. I don't know if I care. And then you're like, no, that's the point. It is dumb. It's kind of poking fun of how dumb the Brady Bunch, how dated that, that show was and everything by bringing them into a modern context. So I actually think he's kind of almost better in the Brady Bunch movie than he is here. But who in Office Space is kind of your, your personal favorite? I don't know. What is his name in the movie? The O guy? Who oh, Michael Bolton, right. Michael, Michael Bolton? Bolton. Oh, how did you forget? Of all the names, that's <laughs> no. the name you forget? I, his, only the most the most important characteristic about him is his name, is Michael Bolton. I know. I had a I had a moment with the wine. No, Michael Bolton, because I like, I still like David Herman. I was a fan of him from Mad TV. And he's just so, he's so belligerent about his name and kind of a suck up because he's in those layoff meetings basically and he's just like oh yeah i love michael bolton i just, i don't know i have a soft spot for michael bolton what with the the suck upness of him or what part do you relate to um or you find him endearing because he's like kind of stuck in a situation that doesn't know how to get himself out of it so he's just like uh yeah sure he's great yeah and he's also They're just also like random or... because him listening to rap music is the reason oh. that that movie is the entire soundtrack. And that that uh, that whole move about singing along with something very confidently, whether it's rap or Michael Buble, and then as soon as someone pulls it next to you, the window goes up, and you're just like, mm-hmm, mumbling to yourself. I'm like that with all music I listen to, whether it's hip-hop or, like I said, Buble or a soundtrack or something or whatever. I'm very much like that. So that, that rings really true for me. Do you think that the reference to Michael Bolton... Is kind of dated now that most people only know him as the guy from the Jack Sparrow video. Like, because he was huge in the late 80s and the 90s when we were kids. It was all like, when a man loves a woman. Um, But I feel like now. That's a Rob singing guy, not a a CD. No, that was, wow, thank you. I appreciate that. Cheers. So you think the Michael Bolton thing hasn't aged particularly well? Since now he's mostly known as. Jack Sparrow and things like that. And from Teen Titans Go! movie. He is the uh, the upbeat inspirational song about life. Thanks to our two-year-old. I've heard that a bazillion times. I think what I think it's possible that Office Space actually was really good for Michael Bolton's career. I think it probably was. Because it, made, he him was a, it made him a joke. Which then he... Like Chuck Norris. Like Chuck Norris is technically a joke. But he has... Well, I don't know if he's a joke, but he's... 
he's definitely, I mean, he's a kind of a cheesy action star who right. does, knows martial arts but doesn't really know how to act particularly well, even though he somehow had a TV show for like a decade. Yeah, so he just kind of, so Michael Bolton took the joke and now has had a resurgence in his career. Yeah, because he's self-aware, and that's what that's. Yeah, I think I think this might have been of the fulcrum point of that, because uh, this was well, Jack Sparrow really kind of pushed that. But I think this was the first time he was kind of Michael Bolton was kind of introduced as a concept and not so much as a singer. If that makes sense. So Michael Bolton is the, that's. I wasn't expecting you to say that. I was thinking you were going to say Milton or something. I do, I do like Milton though too. You think? Do you find Milton an endearing character, even though he's sort of a arsonist? That's and, the only word for him. I mean, that's art. Well, he's an arsonist. He sets fire to the building at the end. That's what. Yeah, but he's committing, also near, but nearby he, committing arson. He's not just an arsonist, though. He's also like quirky and uh, beyond quirky. Yeah. And, and does he have? Are they, are they trying to showcase that he has like special needs or something? I don't know. I don't think so. I think they're just trying to be more. Because I had a feeling that's what you were going to say. I have a feeling it's just more like extreme. Social anxiety and like like that kind of thing. I don't know if it's necessarily a s- special needs thing. Uh, I feel like if that is the case, then that makes that character a lot more problematic than I think he's intended to be. I feel like he's just the timid office worker who knows all about his work but doesn't really relate to people that well. The opposite of Tim Sim Tom Sim I keep going Tim or Jim Tom Simkowski. Who's his whole thing is like, I bring them to the customers. <laughs> what do we need you for? I'm going with people. <laughs> What's wrong with I you? I think about that yeah, scene exactly. a lot too. What is exactly is it that you do here? Yeah. Oh God. And the thing with that, with that character, I'm like, oh, I feel bad for him. I they mean, fixed the glitch. We've been in that situation or we know people that have had oh, that Tom? really, yeah, that really depend on their job, need their job, feel a kinship with their job and the chance that they might lose it. And it's very, you know, it's a very terrifying feeling. And in that moment, I mean, you could tell that he was getting scared. Like, I'm going to, I'm probably going to lose this job. And meanwhile, the other, the three disenfranchised employees, they don't like their job at all. Michael Bolton more doesn't like his job, but he's just like, well, this is my job. I need money. And Samir is like, I like this job because it's, you know, I'm, from another country and this is a great job for me to have here and then of course peter's just like fuck this place <laughs> which is why his his like, he's the one that gets promoted yeah when he walks away from lumberg and lumberg's like uh oh, peter would you mind and he's like walks right past him like oh it's so awesome so satisfying to watch and that's the thing though this is that's exactly how corporate life is is the, yeah. the ones that don't care they're the ones that get promoted Oh, which is that's one of the funniest moments in the movie when he's just like, "Yeah, I don't really care. I don't really into this. I don't, I'm, I'm, I think I'm done now. I'm gonna leave." And they're like, "Okay, thanks." You know, and they're like, "Oh, we're, he's he's going places. You know, we're gonna promote him and all this stuff." They're like, and what? And Michael this Bolton guy. Him, he's like, "You should start caring about work a little bit more. You know, you're you're supposed to go to your meeting." He's like, "Uh, they actually want to promote me and lay you off." And they're like, "What?" And then of course that's how the them get back at the well, man. And there's, I feel like there's flashes of the. The uh, idiocracy, so realistic, it's literally scary kind of thing in this movie. Um, Because you have things like Tom Simkowski, who gets laid off and then is contemplating suicide, it looks like. And then his wife comes in and realizes, like, hey, what are you you doing? He wasn't even contemplating. He was was doing it. I guess he was in the middle of it. Yeah. Because he was so distraught over losing his job, like you said, you know, freaking out in the meeting and stuff. 
uh, that he was going to commit suicide and his wife catches him that he just like wakes up from his like depression backs out of his driveway gets in a car accident and is like oh I, I can't move my arms and legs but I'm getting all this settlement and shit like that that it's that's like the best case scenario when you're in a corporate environment is it's kind of the thing that really that that that's a happy ending for Tom getting hit by a car and being like yeah I'm all fucked up but I got the settlement so yay you know what I mean that really crystallizes Peter's I don't want to be in this environment any longer type of deal where even when even when they're they you know they they don't get in trouble for what went down and Milton ends up taking the money and all that he's I'm gonna be that's construction better I think you know not 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 so much with the cubicles and being trapped in nine to five and having to answer to people like Bill Lumberg I just go out there work with my hands it's very tangible I can just like shake it off literally at the end shake the dust off and then go and live my life and uh you know, I think it it's sort of perpetuates his, his life view at that moment. We didn't talk at all about Joanna and her working at, I don't know, but it's basically a TGI Friday slash Applebee's slash Ruby Tuesday slash whatever. Other. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those. So her whole thing with Mike Judge as her manager and that one super happy For guy God, with that's all his right, flair. That's Mike Judge. Yeah, that's his. He always has like, doesn't he usually have like kind of a cameo or small role in things? I think so. I think he does an idiocracy too. I just can't remember what it is because I haven't been man enough to watch it a second time. He's not a director. That's he's not a person that's really up up center. No, he, if it is, it's usually the voice work. Like he yeah. does Beavis and Butthead, and he does Hank Hill. Like, yeah, he's like not that. Steven Spielberg. You know, we all know what Steven Spielberg looks like. Right. Exactly. I would still recognize Mike Judge. Well, both, but that's because of the um he's in the spy kids movies which i enjoy from robert rodriguez and he has like kind of a central role in especially the second one but he's all three uh so i think that's where i realized hey that's mike judge okay i know who that is um so what did you think about the joanna side of it we get sort of a little subplot with her and the flair and that whole thing going on Uh, she doesn't like to talk about her flair yeah yeah i like joanna i mean aniston is legit good in this she is and that was during the time of the fake extensions that were really easy to, to add because she had that hair on Friends, too. And I really still think that to this day that it wasn't ever real. But um, it's a good look for her. But um, I really like really like Joanna. Yeah, I was... During the time I saw this, a couple of years before I saw this movie, I was working as a waitress. And at the, that was around the time they were, they were starting to change it to the name, to be called Server. Mm-hmm. But, um, and so, and I didn't work for somewhere like that, but, you know, she was putting up with a lot of crap and I like where she's like, so if you want me to wear, like, it's weird. Like she was basically acting like Peter, except not under hypnotist, not, not, not under hypnotism. And she, I think Peter's influence helped her get out of her own, her own stuff. Because in the beginning of the movie, you know, she's like, oh, sure. Yeah. What can I do? To, you know, yeah, what can I do? And then at the end of the movie, yeah, she's flicking, flicking her boss off. And well, because the whole thing is they they want her to wear to express herself, which fuck that, <laughs> express herself by having as much flair as she wants or whatever. But she has on the minimum number of flair, which flair for people that didn't have somehow haven't seen this movie is like the buttons, the, like the little funny whatever gimmicky buttons that she has on her vest that are part of her uniform and. She had on the minimum number of flair, and he's like, "Oh, we like people to have fifteen or more pieces of flair." He's like, "Well, if you want me to wear fifteen, just make the minimum fifteen. 
it's like she doesn't she does she's one of those clock in clock out i go to work because it's my job not because i'm here to kiss ass or whatever uh and her evolution over the course of the story is in it is very much running in parallel to peter i actually want to do a side a side story go about for it so when i moved to tampa and obviously you know this story when i moved to tampa um i was kind of in limbo with work because i had traveled to china australia oh i do know the story and um and i was like well i used to be i used to be a server so let's just give that a try in the interim and you know until i actually find um you know another corporate job to go back to and so i went to outback i think it was outback and i went in for an interview to be a server and the you know the manager's interviewing me he's looking at my application and he says Oh, well, you know, we're really looking for someone that wants to, to, you know, have a future that's here for the long term. So let's just say I didn't get the job at Outback as a, as a server because I didn't want to, it looked like I didn't want to be there for the long term. Well, you just come back from Australia. So you had that experience to bring to Outback. Did that not help at all? I'm sure you talked about that in your interview. Like, hey, what's I up did. with this gap? You, yeah, you would, yeah, you would think so. But clearly, but, but remember, though, Outback is an Orlando-based company. So, yeah. So I relate to Joanna and so, like, oh, the flair. So you narrowly avoided having to wear flair, basically. Yeah. And the thing is, though, and for me, it worked out for the best because who knows? I could have gotten stuck. I mean, like, oh, yeah, I got to go to my shift as a, as a server at Outback. I mean, I've been you doing this for like five years. That. Yeah, but tips are good. Like, oh, yeah, there's that. Did you buy into the relationship or did you think it was like, eh, whatever? Even though I, I, like, I actually think Aniston's stuff on her own is more interesting. Well, the thing with um, Joanna and Peter, though, is that I think that they needed each other to push each other to mm-hmm. do what they were doing. I'm not going to say better because I don't feel like they made each other better, but like they pushed each other to get out of the the shit that they were dealing with in their jobs. So Peter had get, gotten hypnotized, but I think Joanna was more also a catalyst for him getting becoming like that more and more. It's just like Peter was a catalyst for Joanna to literally flick off her manager and customers. And they need so they needed each other in their lives to to be like that. That's very that's a very la la land statement of you. Yeah. It doesn't look like they were together that long, and it was weird that he. Don't they reconcile on, at the end? They do. Yeah. Yeah, and they went on a, and he even said he's like, I want you, you know, like I don't remember the exact quote, but he wanted her in his life because he he thought that she made his life better, and so it didn't matter what he was doing, he just wanted her there with him. But I just I do think it's weird though that his girlfriend cheats on him, and he doesn't want to talk to her anymore, and then the next day. He then wants to go out with Aniston, with Joanna. That's kind of it's quite a it's quite a, quite a rebound there. Well, he doesn't care. He doesn't have any ambitions anymore. He's just like whatever. This person was a terrible person. This person's pretty and seems interesting. And I wonder what it was about her that he was interested in, other than her just being pretty. Maybe it's just Joanna. It's like her little her own version of a little corporate box, not in a cubicle, but kind of the same thing basically. And he, I don't know. He he saw. That life through her eyes for that moment. And he was like, you know what? You want to go get lunch? And oh, by the way, as a single guy, I totally admired his. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go next. I'm gonna go have lunch next door at this time or tomorrow or whatever. And if you show up, great. If not, eh, whatever. I don't fucking care. 
I thought that was great. Like, I wish I was that laid back when I exactly. I wish I was that laid back when I was single, just to be like, eh, if she shows up, that's cool. If not, I got things to do. No big deal. No, no, you know, no sweat off my back or whatever. And uh, people are definitely attracted to that. Not just oh not yeah, just talking, well, no, not just talking about relationships. I'm also talking about yeah, like friendships and professional life. That like, like my dad actually has told me something multiple times that I feel like does ring true. Is you know, you want to care, but don't care too much. Right. Like, and he's talking about it in a, like a professional sense, but. But I mean, you can apply that, especially now in politics, you can apply that to relationships. Like, don't overemphasize your, don't like overly focus on one area of your life because then you're just going to drown it with your own thoughts and it's going to, you're going to stifle it. In yeah. A way. Like I even, um, I have a career planner. I didn't, I didn't promote that, but I have a career planner and one of the, um, one of the things I mentioned, this is like an inspirational career planner with motivational things about how to get ahead at work. But one of the things he even says is care, but don't care too much. So that means care about your, you know, care about your job for sure. And care about um, doing good, having strong work ethic, but don't care about your role in your job. Mm-hmm. So don't care if they're going to fire you. Don't care if they're going to lay you off. You just do your job, do it well and, and go home. And that's all you should really, that's the only focus you should put on it. That's a good point. Cause people, Managers can sense fear. Well, like with Tom Mikowski. Simkowski. Because I had I had it up. So yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't Tom remember. Simkowski. I mean, he they sensed fear. And the efficiency experts. I wanted to get back to that. The, the Bobs. Oh, it's so great. They're great too because that it is how that works. That whole all those interview scenes with them was, and you know, it's like you said, uh, Peter doesn't. He he actually doesn't care at all, and it works out I mean, for him just fine. He even showed up. <laughs> yeah, I know. He was just like, eh, I got nothing going on right now. Let's see what's up. Let's see what these guys I don't have to say, to pretty work. much. But I'm going to go to work at the right time. He'll go to work. He's supposed to work when he feels like it. He's like, eh. Well, you mean, imagine sitting alone in his apartment, listening to Lawrence on the other side, watching television. It kind of gets boring after a while. You're like, yeah, let's go to work and see what's going on over there. See what everybody's doing. And he says, I've been, as the Bob say, I hear you're missing a lot of, I hear you're missing a lot of work. Yeah. I wouldn't say I've been missing it. But. <laughs> yeah. So ultimately, their plan... I guess their plan works, sort of, but the but Milton gets all the money. Well, and it takes off. So the plan worked very well, but the problem was is that Michael Bolton missed a decimal place. So they take all the money at once instead of over the long period of time. Yeah, like and he's like, "Oh, just this small thing I I missed," and then Peter says, "The small detail." I want to say that's a small detail. And this is the first point in the. I know we're winding down and the he podcast, gets called a horrible but person. this is the first point in the movie where Peter actually cares about something since being hypnotized where he's like oh my god oh my god I can't go to prison I'm too pretty for that that kind of thing well yeah I know and that's really scary stuff but I think it's good though that he won't he was willing to take responsibility for what happened and like go you know if it came down to it go to prison for his friends that shows a lot of nobility so how did Milton end up with the money again I forget um because I know the it ends with Milton like on a beach, like complaining about the salt on his margarita glass or whatever. Um. So so Peter stuck the pushed the letter underneath. It, Peter Peter pushed the letter underneath, like confessing, and yeah. then the the, the building was on, on fire. But anyway, Milton ends up with the money and he makes a has a wonderful time on a beach, getting all all happy and and uh, living his dream life. Which again lends to the fact that this was all, this whole movie, this whole world was an extension of Milton and his red stapler in the animated shorts. 
as if Milton's the main character, even though watching this movie, Milton's not really the main character. He's kind of a side character who it ends on because, like, it's in a oh. way kind of stealthily his story, I and guess. Like, and, like, talking about with Milton and him get, kept getting his, his seat moved around. Oh, you can relate like, to that? Oh, God, I can relate to that. Like, that happened to me when my, when my um, an internship. I kept getting my desk moved, and I worked for a Japanese co- company. And one of the things that is that is in Japanese corporate culture is that they don't fire people. They, because they want to, everyone wants to save face. So they just move you around everywhere. Like, they fix the glitch. Yeah. So basically, you, you're just moved to where they can't, like, one way to save face is just move you where nobody sees you. And that wasn't what was going on, but that's how it felt. Because I, Office Space was already still one of my favorite movies. I'm like, what the hell is happening here? Am I Milton? Milton, like, and Swingline did not make a red stapler at that point. I think they were, they made one after this movie because people were like, "Hey, where's the red stapler?" They wanted to have people wanted to have the red. You even stapler. have a shirt. I do have a shirt. Well, the logo of this movie is the word over the red and stapler. And that's one of my favorite pictures of you when you're wearing it. I know it. from like a million years ago when I was cute. Oh. Um. So I guess that kind of closes the book on Office Space. What would you tell the people who, in the last twenty years, have somehow avoided seeing Office Space? See this movie. I mean, I think especially if you worked in corporate America, yeah. you'd be like, "Oh my god, this is my life." I really feel like it. You would relate to it a lot, and you know, in, even if you haven't worked in corporate America, if you ever even worked as a server at any point or are working as a server, there's just a lot of truth to the movie, and it's funny, relatable, and the characters are fun. This the dialogue is great and quotable, and it's my favorite movie. It's your favorite movie, like legit. Yeah, Office, than, space, Clu- Office Space and Shawshank Redemption. More than Clueless, which we talked yes. about last time? I forget that. Yes. Clueless has its own impact, but it's not one of my favorites. Wow. That's a I bold know. statement. I know. It's That's why like, when you want to talk about Office Space, like, like, oh you, my God, totally. It's serious. almost like you took the premise of this podcast seriously. I did. I didn't even do that. It's not sure Pet Detective is a good movie, and it's informative for my youth and all that, but I wouldn't say it's in my favorites. Well, you got to talk about The Matrix now, so... Then. I did, I did talk about that, but I didn't even pick that. So that worked I know, out really see, well. it did work out, see, and you picked When I said to Freddie, I was like, hey, like, what's your favorite movie? It's like The Matrix. I'm like, all right, there you go, fucking done. The Ma- I know I cursed more on this episode than normal because of the wine and because it's just you and I here. But You're still, cursing more than normal? Yeah, I don't cur- in, in On the podcast, not in normal life, perhaps. <laughs> um, so Kai Yanis, uh, who has a really cool last name... What, uh, where can people find you on social media and, and the like? Um, people can find me uh, um, on Twitter at the vault key LLC. You can also find me on uh, my website, be bold bebrave.com and Facebook. I don't know. Just Google my name. <laughs> you just search, search Kyan as you'll find her. It's under my old name, actually. Kai Proctor still? K Proctor. Yeah, uh, they don't let you change it. Really? That's dumb. Like the, the head. People get married. They should. They should let people no, they, the, with the URL, they said, oh, once you pick it, you can't change yeah, it. Yeah, that's dumb. But I don't think that matters anymore. I don't know. Whatever. I'm on Facebook. Like <laughs> She's there. The other seven millions of people. Seven millions? Seven millions of people. Great. So there you go. You can find Kai all over the place. Um, is there any idea what you, if we have you on again, which obviously you're my wife. You live in the house where I record this podcast all the time. What would you have any idea what you want to talk next? Should I podcast bomb you? Would you like that? Podcast bomb? Just show up randomly on episodes with other people and be like, hey, what's up, Adam? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I know where you're, I know where you are. That's true. You know where my recording space is. But we've talked, we talked about previously, we almost did this episode on Down With Love. 
So I guess that, you know, maybe that will be a subsequent episode if I if I decide that you're worthy enough to come back on the show at some point. Yeah, that would be fun. Cool. I also still want to do a 10 Things I Hate About You. Yeah, yeah. We've discussion. been talking about doing that as possible, like doing a commentary or some kind of nostalgia thing for either the podcast feed directly as a bonus episode or the Patreon uh, for subscribers there. But um, either way, if you think that's a good idea, let me know at Crooked Table on Twitter. So, uh, Kayana, thank you so much for joining the Cricket Table thank Podcast. Thank you for having me yet again. If you're interested in joining me on the show to chat about one of your favorite films, head on over to crookedtable.com slash guest. Or you can consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash crookedtable. Of course, you can always find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at crookedtable.com. Until next time, this has been the Crooked Table Podcast, and I've been Rob. This has been a production of crookedtable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of the low KED.